0: Again, welcome to Freedom. I'm so glad to see you here today. And let me say uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're always glad to have you be a part of Freedom Online. hope that you have had... A good week. Uh, Some of you maybe feel a little bit like me this morning. Do you ever have those Sunday mornings that you just come in and you feel like you've just sort of been dinged from a bunch of different directions so that you just feel sort of scattered and distracted by the time you get here? It has absolutely been that kind of start to the day and and parts of the week have been that way and it just feels like it sort of culminated on Sunday morning. I hate that because I come in feeling really scattered, but then I love what happens when we get into worship. It just becomes such a fresh reminder as you turn your attention to the God who is the center of everything, to the one who speaks order into all of our chaos, who cares about all of the stuff that's going on in our lives, and who's involved in those things, but who is greater than all of those things, and suddenly all that stuff just feels really small. When you realize we are connecting with the God who is over everything and yet who loves us so deeply and what a what a neat time of just celebrating his grace and love in our lives. Thank you Tony and the worship team doing a great job this morning leading us in worship. Uh, Today we're going to complete a series on uh, the choices that change your life and uh, I hope you've got your outlines and your Bibles. We're going to dive into that in just a bit. Um, I'm going to take a moment and just talk with you before we dive into the message. If you were here last Sunday, um, some of you will remember vividly one little portion of the message last week where I took a small detour to just comment on something that has led to lots of conversations this week. And that's OK. That's that's hopefully a good thing. But I said something last week that stuck with a lot of people. And I didn't say it by accident, and you will hear it again and again, when I made the statement that Freedom Church is very much a pro-immigrant church. That statement alone led to lots of conversations in small groups and other places and i I want to just take a minute to press into what I said, not to defend anything, but to clarify because we've I think we've got some good conversation going on, but I think we've also uh, gotten to a place that we need to think deeply about some difficult issues. If you weren't here last week, let me just say again what I said last sunday we are We're at a place where our country is developing a climate that is Distrustful of and in many instances hostile toward immigrants in our country, which is so sad and ironic because I mean, if we're just real honest with each other, when I look around the room, I don't think I see a lot of the grandchildren of Sitting Bull or Pocahontas sitting in the room. I think that I'm looking at a room that is filled with the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren of immigrants. That's pretty much all of us. And so it really is sort of tragic. And weird that we would live in this climate now of such distrust toward people who are arriving new to our country. And I, I said last Sunday, I have no interest in making political statements or trying to lead you toward a political solution. The fact of the matter is, the immigrant crisis, the immigration crisis that exists in America today is very complex. And I don't have the solution to, to the bigger problems The the big questions of like who should be allowed in and who shouldn't be allowed in. And there are tens of millions of people who want to get in. And I don't know who needs to get in and who doesn't. I'm glad that's not my job. I pray for the people who have to figure those things out. I don't have the solution for the problem of millions of illegal immigrants who are here now. And what do you do about that? I don't have the answer. And I have no interest in lobbying for or against a wall, for or against deportation. I don't have the answers. And part of what I'm trying to say is the church is not positioned to try and solve those problems. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't care, but our mission is not to decide who gets in and who doesn't get in, who gets deported and who doesn't get deported. We need to keep our eyes on the ball. We need to stay focused on what we are called to do. And more than 200 times, hear that again, more than 200 times in Scripture, the Lord says, be careful to take care of those who are foreigners in your land. You see, that lines up with so much of what the Scripture teaches about how Christianity is to be most clearly lived out in relation to those who are the most vulnerable, those who are the weakest, those who are in the positions that they can be taken advantage of. And so when you look at our culture today, we need to be real careful to take care of people like children, the unborn foreigners in our land. And understand this. I hope today can be maybe liberating for some people who just stayed tied up in knots over some of these things. The complex issues that we're facing on the political side, they're not going away now and they won't go away before you die. That's not just an opinion. That is a fact. Do you know how we can know for sure that the the immigration issues that are so difficult to address right now aren't going to be gone away by the time that you die? The reason we can know that for certain is because they are driven by economics, They're driven by poverty for all that that we're being told. And by the way, you realize we're constantly in a position to almost be brainwashed by politicians, the professional media and social media all roll together. We're we're sort of being brainwashed into thinking that we've got to choose a position on the political side of things. I'm not interested in trying to solve the political stuff, not in the church. That's not our job. But we're being brainwashed to think that's the only side we're supposed to speak to. We speak to the human side of things. The fact that these are human beings that, that Jesus cares about and died for and that we're to care for. But, but we're positioned to think that we need to choose one pole or the other. Either open the floodgates and let everybody in and and call everybody a citizen or go to the other pole and run all those foreigners out and, and lock the doors and build the walls and keep them all out as if those are the only two solutions. And can we just all agree, neither of those are solutions. Neither of those ideas works. They're not going to. Don't don't get sucked into believing that we need to choose one of those positions. We don't need to choose one of those positions. That's that's not our job. We need to stay focused on our calling as the church. You, if you can figure out a solution, good luck to you. But the truth of the matter is you, you won't. It doesn't mean that we can't have leaders who make some good decisions, but we won't solve this problem because it is poverty that drives this issue. Yes, a small percentage of the people in play are criminal elements, but that's not what this conversation is about. If it were, we'd be far more worried about the Canadian border, which nobody wants to talk about. There's more illegal drugs coming across the Canadian border than any other, and nobody's wanting to build a wall there. Nobody's wanting to talk about that border. Those people look more like us, and so we don't worry about them. Now we're really getting where it's uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, this is more of what drives it. Economics is what's driving this. America is a land of prosperity and opportunity. And because so many people in so many other lands do not have access to what we have access to for the rest of your life, people will be clamoring to get here. And you can't stop the fact that people want to escape abject poverty and all of the suffering that comes with that. They want the open doors of opportunity that they find in the U.S. That's not going away. You know, Jesus, in the week that he was betrayed, he had this dinner that we read about in all four of the Gospels. And in the course of that evening, Mary took the most expensive thing that she had, the alabaster jar of of perfume, worth a year's wages. Think about how valuable that was, the most valuable thing in her house. And she poured it all on Jesus, all of this incredibly expensive perfume. And there was immediate pushback. The disciples got angry at, at this, and Judas spoke up the loudest. John says, Judas said one thing, but he, he really wasn't speaking from the heart. He said, well, you know, why is she doing this? This is a terrible waste of money. We could have sold that and given all the money to the poor. And John, as his commentary says, Judas didn't want to give the money to the poor. He was the keeper of the money bag, and he liked to dip his own hand in there and steal money from it. But, but he, he sounded good. He knew how to do the right rhetoric. Why, we could have done something for the poor here. And Jesus' response The first time you read it, it'll almost take you back because he said, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. She's done something to prepare my body for burial. Something, by the way, nobody else did. She did a beautiful thing. Then he said the surprising thing. He said, the poor, you're going to have with you always. He didn't say you shouldn't care. He didn't say you shouldn't do things to try and alleviate the suffering of the poor. We absolutely should do those things. But he just pointed out a reality. We've got to come to understand. Poverty and inequality are always going to be with us, and that drives the problems, so many of the problems that we have today. It's what drives the immigration problem. And in the face of all of this, there's not going to be an easy solution. We're not going to eliminate all poverty. We're not going to eliminate the immigration problem. In the face of these difficult, complex problems, we, the church, have got to decide we're not going to get sucked into this debate where we're going to fix the world by sending a bunch of really well-timed, you know, cunning Uh, Social media posts. I'm going to solve the world's problems by my posts on Facebook. No, we're going to just make some more people mad. That's probably what we're going to do by trying to belittle what they think about this. Can we just all agree the problem of poverty is complex and it's not easily solved? The problem of immigration is complex and not easily solved. That's not a cop-out. There are always going to be poor people. That doesn't... Relinquish us from the responsibility to try and make sure that everybody has access to clean drinking water and nutrition and health care. We need to do the things that we can to serve the poor. It's what Jesus calls us to. We can't fix the immigration problem, but we can stay centered on the thing that is our task, to take care of the people who are here and to pray for and elect godly people who will have to make the difficult decisions about Who gets to come in and who doesn't? Can we just agree as the church we're going to stay focused on what we're called to do as the body of Christ? Are we on board together with that? When I say we're pro-immigrant, what I'm saying is we love everybody and we are here to serve the least of these. In your devotional reading, you know, we're reading through the New Testament Psalms together this year. In your devotional reading, I believe for tomorrow, you'll be in Matthew 25. I want you to let the last half of Matthew 25 really sink in. I want you to chew on that all this week. Where Jesus says at the final judgment, I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. You don't want to be a goat on that day. And and the thing that he says is, is really, it's, it's a disturbing thought. He says the defining line between these two is I'm going to look at the one group and say, come into the reward that's been prepared for you. Because I was... Hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you came to visit me. So you come and enter into the reward prepared by your father. And to the other, he'll say just the opposite. He'll send them to outer darkness and to punishment, those who didn't do all of those things. And he said to each group, That they'll say, but when did we ever see you like that? When did we see Jesus, you sick? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked or or in prison? When did we ever see you like that? And he says, every time you saw any of the least of these, in those conditions you were looking at me. And when you ignored them, you ignored me. And when you served them, you served me. And he doesn't say those who were imprisoned unjustly. He says, when you served those in prison. And he doesn't say when you fed those who were hungry, not through their own laziness or neglect. He just says when you fed the hungry. We want to qualify things. Jesus doesn't qualify things. He just says when you serve the least of these, you serve me. So let's make sure that Freedom Church, we always hold on to the mission and the heart of Jesus. We want to serve the least of these to communicate the love of God to them. Can we agree together on that? Yes and Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your heart in that. Now with that said, let's dive into the main thing. Hey, I I do want to be clear. I love the fact that as a church, we wrestle with stuff. And we say out loud what we're thinking, and we understand that, that this church and places like Small Group are safe places to talk about things. I, I get it. Some of you had hard conversations this week. Some of you had them with me. <laughs> and Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting week. And I love the fact that we can talk through hard stuff and just love each other. It, it doesn't help us a lot to just always reaffirm what we all know and already believe. But we learn and grow when we wrestle with the hard things. So thank you for being open to doing that. Well, today we're going to talk uh, for a few minutes about doors. We're about open doors and closed doors and the doors that you need to pass through and the doors you need to pass by. It's interesting that the Bible talks more than 400 times about doors, open and closed doors. We like to talk about what we choose to do in terms of open and closed doors. Don't we you hear people talk about that? Well, I just I just didn't do that because it felt like a closed door. I felt like I was supposed to because it was an open door. It is an important issue. Do- doors are, are a big part of life. I, just in thinking about this message, I was thinking this week, I bet you can't count how many doors are in your house. I started trying to, to figure it out. Without walking around my house, I can't begin to count how many doors. When you think about it, your garage doors, your attic doors, all your bathroom doors, your closet doors, your front door, your back door, all your exterior doors, all your your cabinet doors, I mean, your your shower doors, all, All closet doors, all these different kinds of doors in your house. You probably can't count all the doors that you have. You are passing through and opening and closing doors all the time, and it is a picture of a bigger reality in your life. Every day of your life is an ongoing series of open and closed doors, doorways that you have to decide, am I going to go there or am I not? And this morning, as we wrap up this series on the choices that change your life, We want to press in on this, recognizing that the choices you make about which doors you're going to take the time to go through are the ones that are going to determine more than anything else the direction and the quality of your life. Choosing the right doors in your life. and How do you go about that? And the primary text we're going to use as our jumping off point is from Revelation chapter 3. In this portion of Revelation... Jesus is communicating to John the Apostle. This is decades after Jesus has gone to the cross and been resurrected and returned to heaven. And Jesus is now giving this incredible revelation of. Uh, it's briefly about what has been and what is and then what is to come. And in the middle of that, that portion of what is, he he gives to John seven messages for seven different churches. These are not figurative churches. These are literal churches in Asia Minor. This is what's Turkey today. And he gives a very specific word, sometimes encouragement, sometimes correction, rebuke. And to one of those particular churches, the church in Philadelphia, not in Pennsylvania but in Turkey, he's, he gives this message to the church in Philadelphia, this is what the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David says. Don't get hung up on the key of David. It's just a reference back to Isaiah 22, 22, and it's, it's a reference to just the authority that God has when he speaks into a situation, that it is with full authority to do what he does. When he opens a door, no one can close it. That's good news. And when he closes it, no one can open it. And I know what you do. I've put an open door before you which no one can close. I know you have little strength, but you have obeyed my teaching and were not afraid to speak my name. I love that Jesus always tells the truth. And I love that he's as honest as he is. I mean, sometimes in my own life, I sort of wish he'd pull back from his level of honesty because he'll just speak truth in ways that are, that are hard to hear at times. But don't you just love how candid he is with the church there? Wouldn't you love to know if Jesus penned a little, little personal word to Freedom Church, what he would say to us today? It would be interesting to hear. He says to the church, look, I, I understand that you're weak. You're, you're not the going, blowing church filled with power. You're probably not where you need to be. That, that Weakness is a term that would describe you. None of us are going to be excited to hear Jesus say, I know that you're weak. But I find some comfort in that. Because I I think a lot of us, if we were honest in describing ourselves spiritually, it'd be like, well, I'm... Probably weak would be one of the words for it. I love the fact that Jesus says, I see you for what you are and where you are, but I do know these good things about you. And he affirms about them. You you do believe the truth and you hold on to my word. And here's what I want you to know. With all the good and with all the bad, here's what you can count on. There are some important doors for you that you're going to need to be able to pass through. And I have opened them and nobody's going to be able to close them. They are doors of opportunity. I have determined there is a destiny for you. And there are things that you need to stay away from, and so I've closed the door on those things. And what I close, nobody can open. That's comfort, isn't it? Isn't that encouragement to know? I'm so glad for that. It was a word to the church in Philadelphia, but it was preserved as a word for us. I'm so glad that the Lord looks at you and me and says, There are some doors that need to be opened to you, and you couldn't get them open. But I am going to open those doors for you. Somebody say, Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad He's opening doors for you, that He's been opening doors? And aren't you so glad that there are some doors... You came so close to walking through, but he closed that door on you. And you only when you look back can you go, whoo, that would have been a mess. Oh, that would have been bad. He says, I closed those doors. Open and close doors. I look back on the 50 plus years of my life and I realize there have been so many doors in my life I could not have opened. He just created those opportunities. And some of them are of great spiritual significance. And some of them are just because he's a good God and he loves me and he just opens doors for me. Do you see how he does those things in your life? I was just reflecting this week on some of those. You know, one of them that just stood out to me that some of you will think this is a silly illustration, but I just love how God does things that you could have never done for yourself. This one had spiritual significance, but the primary thing was just something that I just liked. I am a lifelong Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Since I was a kid, my dad was a Dodgers fan, so I just grew up a Dodgers fan. So one of my bucket list things was always I wanted to go to a game at Dodger Stadium. Chavez Ravine, I just wanted to get to go to a game there, but I'd just never been able to do that. And I had no idea when, I would, when or if I'd ever get to do that. But several years ago, because of our longtime involvement with Compassion International, God allowed me to become friends with a young man just powerful young man from Uganda who grew up a street kid, horrible background, and God raised him up out of that and through the Ministry of Compassion International saved him and just you now he's a brilliant guy with an education. His name is Peter Habi Ar, uh, Habi Aramana. And he is uh, just an extraordinary guy who is a, an ambassador for compassion. And he, when he found out that I'm a big Dodger fan, Oddly enough, when the Lord brought him to the U.S. as a very young man, God orchestrated things so that his, the people in America who sort of adopted him, the man was the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He just refers to him as Poppy. It's, it's just his Poppy. They'd lived together for years. It's just so weird that they did this because when poppy is trying to explain to him that he's the general manager of the dodgers peter's saying is that the one that they play with with the baseball is that with the stick that that's the one and uh so anyway he finds out i'm a dodgers fan unbeknownst to me behind the scenes he works things out to have me flown to los angeles to get to go to a dodgers game but i don't just get to go to a dodgers game I get to go and be hosted by Kevin Malone, the former general manager of the Dodgers, who used to be the uh, Montreal Expo's managed uh, GM as well. And so he hosts me for the weekend. And I don't just get to go to a game, I get to go to a game against our biggest rival, the Giants. If you're a Dodger fan, you hate the Giants. So I don't only get to go see them be against the Giants, I'm with the former GM. Everybody knows him. It's hello, Mr. Malone. I mean, he's in the VIP section. He's taking me to all these places. Nobody like me should ever get to go. When we go to the game, we're not just at the game. You know the section right behind home plate where the celebrities sit? That's where we sit. Where they wait on you and, and it's it's awesome. I'm getting to go see all the behind the scenes stuff. But I don't just get to go to a baseball game. The Lord pieces all this stuff together because Kevin, he's not in baseball anymore. God just so captured his heart. His full-time gig now is working at the Dream Center in Los Angeles. It's the ministry of a church there that has bought a, a gigantic hospital complex. They bought the whole thing. 13 floors and have turned it into all these wonderful ministries, housing people who are homeless, taking care of people from every kind of difficult situation of life and in need of recovery, just doing phenomenal ministry. And so he takes me to the heart of this and introduces me to all these people and lets me see these ministries. How on earth does a nobody from South Alabama wind up in Los Angeles being taken around by a guy who helps to run this huge ministry. That is a big picture of the ministry that we were able to start here. The Hope Center. Trying to just provide for the needs of, of people who are desperately in need. I could have never made those kinds of things happen. I didn't have a plan for any of that. God just opens doors. He's been doing this in your life. Whether you recognized it for what it is or not. Well there are some things we need to know about how God opens doors and which doors to pass through and which ones to pass through. If you want to follow along in your outline, I want to just point out to you seven things from the scriptures that you need to know about the doors in your life if you're going to pick the right ones to pass through. Some of these simple, some requiring a little more thought. The first one is this, just very simply to understand that every door is a decision. Doors are just metaphors for the choices that we make in life. And You learn pretty early on that there are some doors that you do not need to pass through, don't you? Every door is a choice. Secondly, my destiny will be shaped by which doors I walk past and which doors I walk through. As I said, most of your future is going to be determined by the doors that you choose. And the trick is knowing which ones to go through. Because every door that you go through, it's going to cost you some time, some energy, or some money, or maybe some of all of the above, so you can 't just embrace every door of opportunity that's put in front of you. How many of you this here's the audience participation time by a show of hands. How many of you would say there have been some doors that I walked through in life that when I look back, I realize I never should have gone through that door? A lot of hands in the air. for those of you who didn 't raise your hand, how many of you ever lied in church before? <laughs> every, everybody who didn't raise your hand the first time? We all have. We've all walked through doors that we shouldn't have. And the, the tricky thing is, sometimes you just you make a choice and then you realize, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and you, and you just undo it and you move on. But there are some doors that you walk through that you shouldn't have, and it takes a long time to overcome that, doesn't it? Whew. I mean, some of them, you'll spend months or years just getting back on course because you made the wrong choice. You went down a path you weren't supposed to take. This is an important issue. It's as heavy as the words of Deuteronomy 30, 15, where the Lord says, Today I'm giving you a choice. You can choose life and success or death and disaster. It's your choice. But how do you choose? How are you going to go about those choices? How do you know the right doors? Several days ago, I was... Flipping through the channels on TV, and uh, I saw something that I didn't know was still on. It was something from my childhood. How many of you remember Let's Make a Deal, Monty Hall? Do you remember that? Door number one, door number two, door number three. Which one are you going to choose? They're still making that. Monty Hall's probably long since dead. I don't know, but he's not the one doing that show anymore. But uh, same deal. I, I had to pause for about two minutes and watch it because it was when I just happened to flip by. They were at that moment. Which one are you going to choose? You've got three doors. And the guy's going, oh, I always knew. My friend and I said if we got on the show, we'd take door one or three, never take door Door two. It's got to be one or three. One or three. I picked door three. So you got to stop at that point. I'm like, okay, what's behind door number three? And say, so, well, first let's see what you didn't choose behind door number one. A new car, and it was a fabulous car. It's like, oh man, you lost big time. I don't know what's in door number three, but if a car was behind door number one, you were a loser. Sure enough, they get down the line. and behind door number three. Here's two tickets to a play. And it was it was not a grand play. You know, it was just that was the Bobo prize. And, and, you know, that's the end of the story for that guy. And I just thought, thats I think that's a picture of how a lot of us do life. We just have these different opportunities put in front of us, and it just feels like it's just a game of chance. It's a crapshoot. You know, I think I'll choose this door. Well, sometimes you hit it, and sometimes you miss it. But is that the best you can hope for? Because I want to tell you, in life, with some of the choices we've got to make, you can't afford to leave it to chance. You can't just randomly say, well, I think I'll give this a try for a while and hope for the best. If that's all you're going to do, life is going to be painful and only marginally fruitful if you're just leaving it to chance, just blindly guessing. So how do you choose the right doors to pass through? Well, there's a key word in how you do that, and that word is discernment. We must learn to use discernment to know which doors to walk through. Paul said in Philippians 1, This is my prayer for you, that your love will keep growing more and more with knowledge and greater discernment so that you'll be able to make the right choices. How do you make the right choices? Well, he says three things have got to grow. Love, knowledge, and discernment. And by the way, the first two lead to the third. The more you learn to love God, other people, and yourself, the better choices you're going to make. The more you press into a love relationship with God and out of that learn to really love and care about the people around you and actually learn to love yourself appropriately in that, the better choices you're going to make. He says, growing in love and growing in knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, knowledge about what God cares about and about the kingdom and how the world is supposed to work. You realize that there are just a lot of decisions that we make poorly when we're younger because we just didn't know. We just didn't know how things work. Did you ever just make some bad relationship choices early on in life because you just didn't know how relationships work? Guys, you just you made decisions because you thought a woman thinks like a man and you were so wrong. Because they don't think like a man. And only with some growth in knowledge can you make discerning choices. You've got to grow in in love, grow in knowledge to grow in discernment. As your pastor, I'll just tell you, I love you and I don't want to see you wasting your time, effort, energy, your life on the wrong stuff. I want you to grow in discernment. And I say this without any judgment, purely out of compassion. Some of us need to take a hard look in the mirror and realize we have not been strong in the area of discernment. And there's nothing, there's no place, I guess, that screams that more loudly than when we demonstrate through our relationship choices that we have poor discernment or no discernment. And if we just get real honest with ourselves and with one another, the truth of the matter is, based on track record, some of us would have to say, my picker is broken. My chooser is torn up and needs to go to the shop because I pick the wrong people. I choose the wrong people to love. I choose the wrong people to trust. I choose the wrong people to be my closest friends. And I just get burned again and again and again. And and some, if we're honest, some of you in the room, some of you watching and listening online, it's easy to defend where you've been because your heart is tender, And you always see the best in others. and And you're always picking out good qualities in people that everybody else seems to look down on and judge. And you can see the good in them. And that's a wonderful, godly characteristic. But you've translated from seeing the best in others to giving your heart to others that you shouldn't have given your heart to because you didn't practice discernment. And one of the healthiest things that some of us could do today is to just take an honest look at our track record and realize, I'm one of those folks that doesn't have good discernment. Got a broken picker. Because this relationship, ooh, it ended badly, and this one was a disaster, and this one left me in pain for a long, long time. And the one common denominator in all of these, the only common denominator is me. There's something going on with me. I'm not using good discernment. What do you do if that's the case? We can say, we could spend the rest of our time talking about what it takes to exercise good discernment. Prayer and the word and, and you know fasting all of those are a part of it, but let me just tell you if if you use poor discernment again and again in relationships, I'll tell you the most practical thing that you can do beyond just praying over that because I, here's the deal if if that's an area of weakness for you, you can probably pray till the cows come home and you'll still make bad decisions if that's all you do. Because we can we can pray, 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 and still just chase our hearts and think we're doing the right thing and just screw it up again. The most practical thing that you can do is lean into the most godly people that God has put around you that you can get close to and share honestly with. And you subject yourself to the godly counsel of others. You press into... The leadership of your church or of your small group or your discipleship group. I'm not talking about that friend that just goes, yeah, I think that's great. Everything that you do. We've all got somebody like that in our lives. You can describe a train wreck of a relationship that you're getting into. And inside they're thinking, you're an idiot for going with that person. But they're smiling. Oh, I'm so happy for you. We're not talking about those friends. I don't care if they go to church or not. There's people like that in church. We've all got friends like that. They are useless in terms of discernment. I'm talking about you pressing in to godly people, the kind of people that you don't want to share your story with for fear that they're going to speak truth to it. That's who you need to entrust your story to. I'm not talking about Captain Negativity. because Those are there too. I'm just talking about people who will speak truth, who will pray with you and be honest with you and who would care enough about you to look you in the eye and say, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you need to pump the brakes. I think you need to take a couple of steps back or who love you enough to say, get out, run. That was a bad idea. The Lord's already spoken on that. You don't need to be with that person. They're bad for you. That's part of discernment. listening to godly people around you. The third thing that we need to understand about doors is a door may be different things. It's easy to misunderstand and just assume that if there is an opportunity before us, that's a door that God has swung open. Well, a door could be a number of things. It could be an opportunity from God. These are good doors that we want to go through. Paul talks about one of these in 1 Corinthians 16:9 when he says a huge door of opportunity for good work is opened up for me here. We ought to expect these. <laughs> God's going to open doors of opportunity for you. But it's very easy as you pass through a door that's an opportunity from God to misread what's going on. Because how many times in your life has an opportunity presented itself and you pray about it and you think about it and you're like, I believe that's from the Lord. I'm going to do this thing. And as soon as you step through that door, there was a buzzsaw waiting for you on the other side. And suddenly life is painful and hard. As soon as you do this thing, there's opposition. There's financial difficulty in your life. And you go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I was wrong. I thought that was from the Lord, but I mean, surely the Lord wouldn't have led me into a situation that's going to be that difficult, that costly, or that painful. Surely the will of God isn't like that. You may need to write this formula down. Opportunity plus opposition equals the will of God. A lot of times that formula is true. Opportunity, an open door. Oh, I should do this. We step through. Oh, suddenly there's opposition. There's a setback. Opportunity plus opposition often equals the will of God. Don't assume that it wasn't the will of God because it suddenly just got hard. I'll give you just a practical kind of example. I, I, I. If this is your story, I'm not picking on you. Nobody has come to me and talked to me about this, so I had not been reading your mail. But I'm just guessing, because this happens all the time, Butch has been sharing about our most recent mission opportunity in May and early June, taking a group to Tizimin, Mexico. In, what is it, September or thereabouts, we'll be taking a group into Guatemala. And there are people that God's already speaking to about that. Some of you are already saying yes to that. Some of you have, like, maybe taken a baby step toward that. You felt in your heart like, oh, man, I I don't know. I've never been there before. Suddenly, I sort of feel my heart tugged in that direction. Maybe I'm supposed to do that. And for some people, there are probably a number of you who could raise your hand and go, yep, that's me. I've been there and done that. You start to take a step in that direction, and the moment that you do, suddenly there's financial difficulty in your household. Suddenly... The car breaks down. The roof starts leaking. There's, there's suddenly financial opposition. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That trip could cost me $1,500. I thought that was a doorway for me to pass through. But as soon as I started to hear something that came, I'm like it must not have been the will of God. Do not think that that is how life works. The moment that you start to press into the will of God, there's always an unseen enemy who hates that. And if you were about to take an important step, he's going to look for a way to discourage you. The thing you've got to have enough vision and faith to recognize and see is the moment that you're stepping in and there's opposition, God's already raising up the solution. You see, because at the very moment that you're going, oh, my goodness, we didn't, didn't realize we were fixing to have these unforeseen expenses. Oh, you didn't, but God did. That's why he started moving on other people's hearts. And people are already lining up with the butch saying, hey, we'd like to just give money for people who are called to go because we can't go. But we feel called to pay the way to help other people go. That's a door that only God could open because you're looking going, I can't do this. I can't make this door open. No, you can't, but God can. So he's already making a way ahead of you. And he does that in all kinds of areas of life. So don't be afraid to go ahead and face head on the opposition on the other side of that door. The second thing that a door can be is just a distraction from others. It looks like an opportunity, but it's really just a distraction to keep you from God's best Not every opportunity is an opportunity from God. God has a plan for your life, but so do other people. And some of those people are people who love you. In fact, the people who have the most detailed plan for your life are some of the people who have loved you the most. You know what I'm talking about? Some of them raised you. God has a plan for your life, but so do these other folks as to where you should go to school and what you should study and what you should do with your life and who you should spend your life with. And they will try and point you in directions that sound good and seem good. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's just a distraction from what God had planned. I think about my own life and when I was a young man and a student, I had a lot of things in my heart that I was interested in doing, but this thing that was buried the deepest in my heart from the time I was 16 was a sense of call to vocational ministry. But some of the people who loved me really cared about my future, began to speak frequently into my life saying, you know, you're doing really well in school and you've got these interests and abilities. You should be a doctor. You'd be a great doctor. And, and I just began to hear that more and more and more and more. And the next thing I know, I'm in Alabama and I'm pre-med and man, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm taking all the chemistry and physics and biology and calculus and all those things and I'm just eating that stuff up and here you're going to be a great doctor you're going to be a great doctor and man, for a couple of years I'm going full speed in that direction I'm going to kill the med cat and and just sprint into medical school now I I still love people who practice medicine the whole field of medicine that's a great thing but I want to say to you clearly the field of medicine was for me just a distraction could God have blessed my life if I had gone into medicine he could have but it wasn't what he called me to I just heard other people saying, you'd be good at this. You should do this. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to make a lot of money serving God doing that too. I wouldn't mind that. And that for years was a distraction. Thankfully, God loved me enough to remind me again and again and again. That's a good thing. Don't opt for good when I'm calling you to great. Many times open doors are just that. They're an invitation to fair or good when God is calling you to greatness. Nehemiah is a great example of somebody having to deal with the distractions around him. Nehemiah was a nobody. He was the cupbearer to the king during a time when Israel was just, the people who were left in the land were living just in a devastated place. They're living in poverty. The walls have been torn down. Most of the people who have any education or wealth have been deported. And so... When Nehemiah hears a report of how bad things are in Jerusalem, he's grieved about it. He goes before King Artaxerxes. The king recognizes something's wrong with him and says, what's up? And there's no way that Nehemiah could hope as just the cupbearer, a nobody in what is currently Iran. I mean, he's so far from his homeland. What could he possibly hope to do? But God's about to open a gigantic door. The king says, something's obviously wrong. I can tell from your countenance what's going on. Nehemiah tells him what's on his heart. And the king says, well, what is it you want to do? They said, well, I want to go back. And, I mean, man, he's been thinking and he's been praying. Between hearing the bad news and getting the open door, he's not wasting time, and neither should we. He's thinking about it. He's praying about it. And so when God begins to open the door, he says, well, here's what needs to happen. I need to be able to go back. I need to be able to take people with me. I need letters that will get me safe passage through. I need letters that are going to get me the timber and all the supplies. I'm going to need these resources to be able to do this thing. That's a man speaking in faith. And when nobody's going, well, since you ask, here's my list. Here's what we need. The king said, I'll give it all to you. In fact, even more, here's what I'm going to supply you with. Now go. And so he goes with all this favor, God kicking doors open and he gets there. And immediately when he arrives, what happens? If you know the story of Nehemiah page after page, page, it's all the opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, the local leaders in that region, they oppose him at every turn. First, they try and ridicule him and belittle and discourage. And when those things don't work, they try to distract him. They start saying, before you go any further, you better come have a conversation with us. You really, really need to talk with us. They're trying to just get him sidetracked and distracted. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3, I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? There are people in your path. There will be people in your life. And they're inviting you, come with me, come out with me, come be with me. And they are nothing but a distraction. And you've been called to a great work. You've been called to a great destiny. And it is critical for you to recognize the ones who are only there as a distraction. Just because she's pretty doesn't mean she's sent by God. Just because he's built like an Adonis doesn't mean he's God's man for you. You are nothing but a distraction. So let me ask you, has someone or something become a distraction in your life from something important that you knew in the past God called you to? And now you look back and realize, I'm not on track with this thing that I felt so strongly about. Who or what has distracted you? A third and final thing that a door may be is just a trap from Satan. Realize that some doors in life are just trap doors. And we've all fallen into those before. Do you remember when Jesus, six months before the cross... In Matthew 16, he's taking the disciples away to Caesarea Philippi, and they've had this whole exchange about, Who am I? Do you really get who I am? And then for the first time, and from that point forward, he's going to tell them plainly, We are going to Jerusalem, and here's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, he's explaining in detail, and the first time he spells that out, Peter, his closest lieutenant in this whole little entourage that he has, is going, Whoa, 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 time out. Let's talk. We've got to have a conversation. I don't know where that came from but that is not the plan this whole thing of arrest and torture and trials and crucifixion i don't know where you came up with that jesus maybe you had some bad pizza or something and you're just you had a rough night didn't sleep well but that is not the plan and jesus looked him squarely in the eyes and said you get behind me satan because you do not have in mind the things of god you are you are looking at this from a purely worldly perspective That's a trap for for us in a lot of situations when we look at circumstances from a purely worldly human perspective. Instead of saying, could it be that the God who sees everything has a bigger picture plan than what I'm seeing? There are opportunities, open doors, that are not from God. From God's perspective, they're an opportunity for you to learn some. Discernment to learn to listen, and to learn to just say no and pass on by. A door can be an opportunity from God, a distraction from others, or a trap from Satan. Then the, the fourth thing that we need to know about uh, doors of opportunity is if an open door is from God, it will not contradict God's word. Do you realize that God has already closed a bunch of doors in your life before you ever get to them, and he closed them through his word? He just already said, nope. Not for you. It's not allowed. It's not okay. As a follower of Jesus, you don't get to do that. You do not get to pass through that doorway. Now, we are so intelligent. We're so enlightened today that some of us come to the conclusion, well, you know, the Scriptures are very old and people's perspectives have changed, and now we understand so much more. And there were some things that back then they thought were not okay that now we've just realized we need to be more open-minded and embrace those things. And to that, I want to just say hogwash. It's not like the Lord had not fully evolved back in that day. He didn't understand, but now he just, are you kidding me? The truth of the matter is exactly what the words is, what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What I'm telling you is eternal truth. It was true in eternity past. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true in 2019. And it will be true forevermore. And when he says no, we don't get to negotiate him to a new position. And there's no place that we stand at greater risk of violating this than in relationships. And probably the biggest trapdoor out there for us I'll pick on us married people today. The The biggest trap door is when you're a married man or a married woman, and you're just in a dry season in your marriage. Neither of you has been watering the garden. You just, you're not feeling close. But at work, there's somebody of the opposite sex, and they are just so understanding. They're just so thoughtful. They really get you. And the further you go along, you just begin to sense, I think God's closing one door and opening another. This is just God's way of showing me a new path that He has for me. Don't you buy that garbage. That is not the voice of the Lord. And most married people, most of us will face circumstances like that somewhere along the way. It may not be at work, it could be at church. I mean, it could be anywhere, but we want to start comparing the relationship that we have with somebody who lives the totality of their life around us. We see their good, their bad, their worst days, and we want to compare the whole of their life to the tiny little window that we get of somebody else that we see on the job or we see at church. I want to tell you, that is a comparison we don't get to make. That's like comparing tangerines and submarines. They sound alike, but they aren't. You just don't get to compare them. Everybody can clean up their life for this little window that I'm going to give you in public. See, I mean, you have one perception of me if all you know of me is on Sunday morning. I've ironed my clothes. I've brushed my teeth. I've tried to fix myself up for you. Jackie's got an altogether different perception of me. She saw me at 6 o'clock this morning. It's not a pretty picture. She sees me when I'm... Not at my best. She sees the totality of my life. You don't get to compare those two things. And regardless of what we would think when we compare those things, God's already spoken on this issue. God isn't leading you to something that's going to contradict his word. He's closed that door. Thank you, Jesus, for closing some doors. Are you with me, church? We're trying to make sure we miss out on some of the doors that will get us way off track. Number five, sometimes God shuts a door for my protection. Right in line with that same thought. And some of you are here today because you needed this truth. A door has just closed or is just about to close. And you feel the pain and frustration of that. You interviewed for a job and it sounded like it would be perfect for you. But you didn't get call back for the second interview. You applied, but you didn't even get called for an interview. And it would have been so good. But God closed the door. You were hoping for that promotion, but you got passed over. You were certain that this relationship was going to last forever. And that door's been closed. God is ending the relationship with this man or woman that you just were ready to give your heart to and spend the rest of your life with, and you knew you were going to marry them someday, and that door is being closed, sometimes God closes a door to just protect you. He is saving you from what you did not see would be the hurt and chaos that would follow. One of the first glimpses we get of the hand of God in, in Scripture, in Genesis, is God closing a door. When he had come to a place of frustration over the wickedness of mankind and there were only eight people on the planet left who were faithful to him, he didn't abandon them. He said, here's what I'm about to do. It's about to be a terrible season of destruction and loss. So here's what you've got to do in order to be saved. And when Noah and his family cooperated and they entered the ark, the last thing that happened before the judgment of God fell and God closed the door. I mean, they had to build the whole blooming ark. They couldn't close the door. It's just a symbolic word, a powerful truth communicated by this. God closed the door. God closing a door is the Father saying, I've got your back. I know beyond what you can see. I see beyond the horizon. And sometimes you need to be shielded from a relationship that you just knew was going to be so good. And let me say this, I I get how tender this is for some. But there are some people in the room, there are some people watching and listening online. God has been actively closing a door on a relationship for you, and you haven't been cooperating with what he's saying. Now I'm speaking to single people right here. God has been trying to show you that a relationship is not good for you. And he's closing that door and you are kicking and sticking wedges in and doing everything you can to keep that door from closing. And friends, that's not faithfulness, that's codependency. When we've just got to hold on to this relationship because we see the best and we can make it work, God, because he loves you, is closing a door. Recognize the hand of God for what it is when he closes the door. And stop fighting against that. When God ends a relationship, it is because he loves you. In faith, embrace that and just say, hey, if he's pulling this away, it's because he's got something greater planned. I'll hold on for that. A sixth truth is this. God will open doors for me if I open doors for others. I mean, how many of you want to know God's opening doors for you? About six of us. Punch your neighbor and wake him up. We do want God to open doors for us. If you want God opening doors for you, open doors for others. It's just the the golden rule put into practice. You do for others what you want others to do for you. The things that you do for others God wants to do in your life. Proverbs 11.25 is a good illustration of that. Anyone who generously blesses others will be generously blessed. And when you refresh others, you will be refreshed yourself. You know, there are a few things in life, if we just get really practical, there are a few things that will close doors more than poverty. It does. People who live in poverty, typically the doors of access to things like health care and proper housing and proper nutrition, I mean, just so many things, the opportunity to ever have access to a good job or a different way of life. Doors are just closed because poverty keeps them there. I mean, you do understand, don't you, that the vast majority of people who are impoverished in the world, it's not because of bad choices. It's not because that they just didn't work hard enough or didn't get a good education. They were born into a situation where there weren't any alternatives. They are in systematic poverty. Doors are closed to them. But when you help people in ways that lift them out of that. You open doors of opportunity for them. And the word is clear about this again and again. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about this. He says, God just loves to generously... Resource lavish blessings on those who will just share that with others and bless them. You're opening doors of opportunity in other people's lives, and the Lord just says, I'll just keep refilling your tank as long as you do that. When you're not trying to just become a fat cat, but you're opening doors of opportunity in other lives, God just will continue to resource you in that. That's what he's saying. Those who generously bless others will be generously blessed. So be generous with your money. Be generous with your time, with your praise, with your encouragement. Those who are generous with others, God will be generous to them and open doors of opportunity for them. You know, it's interesting to me that in the whole recovery process, if you're familiar with working through the steps of Celebrate Recovery, a significant part of living with lasting freedom, of actually winning in recovery, is you have to become a doorway for others in their recovery. You have to give your recovery away. You have to help other people walk down the same path that you've walked down. What are you doing? You're opening the door for them. You're stepping in with somebody who's, who's not at a good place, and they're not sure that they can trust anybody, and they're not sure how this whole thing's work, thing works. And by you loving them and you opening your life to them and sharing your story with them and holding their hand and sponsoring them and walking with them through that, you yourself... Are tapping into access to just power and grace that's poured out on you to continue to stay clean and sober and healthy and walk in healthy relationships as you pour it into others. As you open a door for somebody else, God's continuing to open doors for you. That's good news. But you've got to give it away. And one of the ways that we open doors to others literally is to open the doors of our homes. I'm just going to say that as a final aside. Something about our culture is changing, and we do not like to let people in our homes. Jackie and I yesterday, just kind of on the spur of the moment, a lot of you know we just recently moved, and uh, so... We just thought we we need to go meet some of our neighbors. It's a commentary on where we are right now, and I'm not talking bad about anybody. It's just, I mean, if you hadn't done this lately, move, and you'll discover exactly what I'm talking about. You move to a new house. Your neighbors, maybe you've experienced otherwise, but my experience is pretty universally the same. The neighbors don't do what they used to do 30 years ago, where they come knocking on your door and say, Here are some brownies. Welcome to the neighborhood. It's like... (laughs) The best you can hope for is a wave across the street. You know, that's about as much welcome to the neighborhood. So we were like, well, we're going to go meet the neighbors. So we take the dog and we go knocking on doors. And it's kind of funny that you just can read it on people's faces like, who are you and what are you doing at my door? We're just not a welcoming culture anymore. I mean, somebody knocking on the door, and we don't know who they are or what they're doing there. I mean, I don't think we looked all that threatening. It's the middle of the afternoon. But, I mean, it's just like, what are you doing on my front doorstep? Christians are to be known for their hospitality. And hospitality is about you literally opening your door to other people, inviting people into your home, inviting people over for coffee for dinner, because what you're doing is opening up not just your home but your life. You're saying when you open your door, you matter to me. I want to get to know you. I want you to feel comfortable in my home and in my life. The Lord lavished good things on Job. We always think about the season of suffering in his life, but the majority of... Job's life, the early and the latter portions, he's the most blessed man on the planet. And Job said this of himself, I never turned away a stranger but have opened my doors to everyone. God opens doors for those people. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 and 9, open your homes to each other and share your food without complaining. That's opening doors for other people. The final thing I'll say today is this. It's important to know, as we talk about open doors, that sometimes God cracks a door for me to give me a glimpse of my future long before I'm ready to walk through it. You may not be ready yet for what God has planned for you, and God understands that. He's going to time things appropriately. And it's so important that we understand that just because we see something that, that connects with our hearts that we want to do and God shows us that this is something that he wants to do doesn't mean that it's time. A lot of times God's giving us a glimpse of what's coming on out there a ways because he wants to keep us moving. He wants to keep us committed. He wants to keep us hopeful and encouraged. It's important for you to know God has a destiny for you and that you're the only person who can destroy that destiny. Somebody may need to write that down just to stay encouraged. God has a destiny for you and you are the only person who can destroy that destiny. Somebody else is not going to get to rob you of your destiny. You are the only person who could close those doors of opportunity that God's going to provide. But be careful that you don't miss that because when God shows you what's ahead, you run past the other two steps and you miss out on God's way and God's timing. Remember this. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. God's big plans for your life have always got three parts there's the what. What is it that God wants to do? He'll crack the door and show you at different seasons of your life. And inside, we're going, woohoo, go Jesus. I like that plan. Because a lot of times, he's showing us something that our hearts have longed for. One day, I'm going to bring somebody in your life. You're going to get married, or you're going to have kids, or you're going to do a career that looks like this, or you're going to do this in ministry. And our hearts go, yeah, I'm ready for that today. And Jesus goes, not so much, but there is going to be a day. And I want you to just have a glimpse of that. We get the what, but don't forget there are two other parts. The second part is the how. We start scheming, and we're going to figure out how. I can make that happen. I can get in a relationship. I can make a baby. I can make this happen. No, God has a how. And even beyond the how is the third question, and that is the when. Just because God shows it to you today doesn't mean you already know how to get there or that today is the day to start running there. You've got to wait on God's timing. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and you'll fail miserably. I close with the words of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.3. The Lord says, but these things that I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. What is the vision? It's that glimpse that God has given you of what he's planning If it seems slow, don't despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. That's good news, isn't it? Not going to be late by a day. But now for some of us who feel like, God, his plan just isn't working for me. Somehow I've either gotten off the map or he's forgotten about me. His plan isn't working because there were things that he put in my heart and I chased hard after them. And they just all blew up like a bomb. Let me just tell you what may have happened. We may have gotten the right what from God, and we may have just run right past Him to try and make those things happen. Usually when it blew up, it's because I didn't do it how God said to do it or wait for His timing to bring those things to pass. Sometimes I kicked open doors that God hasn't opened yet. let me ask you, where are you right now? Are you at a place that, based on your track record, you need to press in for some Help in terms of learning discernment? Are there some doors of opportunity that God's been swinging open for you that you need to just step out in faith and in spite of the opposition? You need to say, yes, I'm doing this. Even if it costs me something, it's going to cost you something. Is there a door that God's been trying to close in your life and you've just been pushing back and resisting and trying to hang on that you just need to go? You know what? I believe that God's always got the best planned and I'm going to let go and trust him. He's closing that door. Would you join me as we together turn to him in prayer right now? Let's bow. God, you are good, and your plan is always best. And we realize that when our lives get tangled up and messed up, that it is not because of a failing on your part. We get mixed up. Sometimes we just resist your plan. Sometimes we think we're following you, and we've run ahead of you, or we've just missed you. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you don't turn your back on us. And so here we are, good and bad decisions in our past, hearts longing to be right with you, but maybe not sure how we go forward from here. And we just ask you now for wisdom, for discernment, for grace to know where we go from here. I pray that today you would just, for people in the room, people watching and listening online, that you would just pour out A double portion of discernment and vision to see the direction that you've called us to. Where you're closing doors on opportunities and relationships, just make that clear. Speak to hearts and make that known. Where you're calling us in faith to step through new doors of opportunity, make that clear to us today. Where you're calling us to press in and learn to listen to the counsel of others, point us toward the right people that we need to reach out to. Above all, help us to press into you, Lord Jesus. We need you today. We look to you and we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.